welcome to the digital adoption show by whatfix we are the folks who practice and preach digital adoption and whatfix is one of the leaders in the space paving the way with hundreds of fortune 500 customers worldwide through this podcast we bring to you industry leaders and influencers who define how learning training adoption change and digital transformation should work in today's world tune into our discussions on how organizations tackle the different pain points challenges and find the resounding solutions to the most interesting problem statements in the world of digital adoption now here's our next episode hi there i'm your host arijit from whatfix and it's my pleasure today to welcome our guest toby newman on this episode we talk about how individuals and organizations can take control of their learning journey our guest toby also known as the never ending learner works as an in-house learning consultant for a technology company based out of the netherlands He's also a member of the TEDx Eindhoven team and a TEDx speaker himself. Uh, you'll also hear him on multiple podcasts and webinars talking about uh, learning and self-development. Uh, you'll also find Toby on his website, theneverendinglearner.com. Look forward to this conversation today and to learn more about you and your strides as an L&D practitioner. Welcome to the Digital Adoption Show, Toby. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It sounds like I've done a lot of stuff, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I just try and do my uh, my piece to uh, to give back to the to the L and D community. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love doing it. So uh, yeah, it's like a, a something something that I enjoy. Uh, so it's not really a a pain for me to do all those different things. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I've been to some of your. webinars and podcasts right uh, very interesting different perspectives on uh, quite a few things on learning and self development so something that i took a lot of and i'm glad that you know we get to talk today yeah uh, so i think for me it's it's i wouldn't say that i try and be argumentative um but i i enjoy discourse i think unfortunately it's something that we we don't really have enough of in this world uh, at the moment and so especially with lnd there is no wrong or right answer for most of the stuff um but it's all about gaining experience from each other gaining insights and and seeing what fits exactly seeing what what uh, fits and you know what works for you right because what works exactly. for you may not for the other yeah absolutely perfect so uh you know toby we noticed you call yourself a never ending learner right which is also reflected in your youtube channel so i'm very curious yeah. to learn more about how you came up with it and and what does it really mean to you in your professional and your personal life it was actually a little um uh workshop like a mini self reflecting workshop it was actually my wife that helped me out and she basically did this exercise about kind of what's what do i find passion uh or what do i find passion in um where do i uh what keywords do i think about and for some reason uh when all that exercise was happening um i was thinking about the never ending story which is i uh, i love my films i'm a bit of a you probably seen from the ted talk that's kind of how yeah. i open my ted talk <laughs> absolutely uh, and I, i i'm not one of these cinephiles i don't know every actor in every film but i've watched i think thousands of films so i i love my film and it was i thought well you know the never ending story is a great story learning is about story and and journeys and i wanted to combine the two and i thought well never ending learner kind of makes sense and i was playing around with different ways of doing it and i think you know the never ending learner stuck yeah interesting so actually you know uh, seeing that i actually was looking at a few things that few, few things came to mind as well so you know one i i remember i saw a quote sometime on on social media that said 
know, never stop learning because life never stops teaching, right? So I think it is. Yes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and I think, yeah, I, I must admit, when I was first thinking about it, um, I wasn't thinking so philosophical at the time. But as, you know, as we talk about, uh, well, I talk a lot about the learning mindset uh, and a lot of people talk about lifelong learning. And it is, it may sound corny, but it is true. Uh, we continuously learn. Um, you know, if, you, if anybody's got kids, just watching them for five minutes and you just see, you can physically see the cogs whirring about, oh, how does that fit in here? And how does this, yeah. it's fascinating watching them. And I think one of the things that I'm probably most frustrated about that I'd love people to get back to is that conscious effort. So yes, we all learn. And every, there's, I don't think there's anybody in the world would say we don't consciously learn or we don't consciously develop. But it's the conscious decision to say, ah, I am learning something here. Now, what do I do with it? What do I, what does it mean to me? How am I going to make sure that's part of my ongoing thing? And that for me is the difference between just talking about uh, a, a lifelong learning journey and a learning mindset. Uh, is that conscious switch to go, yes, I am learning. Yes, I am developing. Oh, I did learn that skill today. And, 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 figuring out what you're going to do with it. Yeah, Toby, I totally resonate with, you know, the example you give a kid, right? I have a four-year-old of my own and <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's studying for in a couple of days. And, you know, I, I read about this, right? So kids usually till the age of four, they are at a genius level, right? Where it's everything is why, why that, why this, right? But then at, at the age of four, we kind of think, we, uh, you know, it society kind of pressurizes them to not ask those. Yeah, yeah. yeah And exactly. you get kids say, you know, exactly. like parents say, don't ask that, um, you know, I'll tell you when you're older. Right. And yes, there are elements where that, that is the case, but I've kind of tried, trying being the operative word, trying as much as I can with that, with our little one, is to kind of embrace that. And to give you an, a little example, um, that uh, she was playing with, I think it was just like um, a, uh, a set of, I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is, but she was playing. And my wife came along and watching her play and she started correcting her, not out of anything bad or anything, but started saying, oh no, that piece doesn't go there. That goes in, play it like that. You're supposed to play it like this. And I was like, no, no, let her, let her play, let her just discover if she wants to, I don't know, um, play as a, a xylophone, but um, and then just use it as a, I don't know, a stepping board to jump off on, then fine. Let her do it. Let her discover how she wants to play herself. And, and since then, you know, wives kind of let go a bit and kind of go let her play a bit. And for me, that's, that's the key thing. It's not to say, no, no, don't do it this way, do it that way, do it that way, but to work with them. And, and that goes for children of all ages and adults is to let them discover and let them find out their own ways because then it, it, it matters more to them and they remember it if they've done it themselves. Absolutely. I'm, I, you know, totally resonate with that, Toby. And, you know, I, I, it's every, I know now myself, right, seeing them just like you did, it is learning again, right? What, what they're trying to do, you kind of figure it out. Yeah, it's actually a question that, you know, they should follow through with, right? So I totally yeah. agree with that. And you learn as an adult, yeah. as, as the, the little ones learn. So it's, yeah, it's a kind of a two-way uh, two bridge. Absolutely. So uh, Toby, you're a TEDx speaker. You've been on multiple podcasts as well. 
Uh, here's a question for you. Has there been any instance that's been very unique in terms of audition at the event or maybe the most peculiar question ever asked on a podcast? I suppose the, the, the I wouldn't say it's a unique um, or a strange um, experience, but it's that moment, because I've, I've hosted uh, TEDx um, uh, uh, talks as well as, as, as presenting them. And I think that the biggest one, I think maybe a lot of people listening to this will probably uh, um, uh, feel as well, is when you ask a question or you're really hyped up and you kind of go, oh, this is going to great good, and there's silence. There's kind of tumbleweed flowing through the, the auditorium or the, or the online. <laughs> yeah, crickets is online. is even worse. And it's that first kind of like gut-wrenching kind of feeling of, oh, my God, everybody hates me. Uh, and I'm doing a terrible job. Um, but at least for me, it's that kind of, I mean, as you could probably tell, I like to talk. So uh, I don't really mind if there's, <laughs> if there's silence because I'm just going to talk over it, which is probably not the best uh, solution. But um, it is it is an, an art form to get engagement. And I think you, you know, talking about lifelong learning uh, and taking a kind of, I like, for example, I like uh, watching um, uh, late night uh, chat shows and just seeing how they get audience reaction. Now, obviously, American audiences are um, kind of maybe uh, a bit more easily engaged because they put up signs to say applause and all that kind of stuff. But it's still seeing how they do little things or how they move or how they raise their voice or whatever it is, is to kind of get those things uh, to 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 take those little things as tips and go, oh, maybe I'll try that uh, next time. Um, in terms of questions, I can't think of anything that has kind of really dumbfounded me, but I'm going to, I'm going to flip it. Um, because the, 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 again, talking about questions and learning is that, uh, I live, I love to listen to podcasts myself and Freakonomics, if, if you've ever come across this is a, wonderful podcast uh, mm-hmm. very fascinating and they did an episode on interviewing and how to ask questions and they interviewed all different people experts and the one thing that stuck with me and that's what I try and do with my own podcast is I asked the question what would be one question that I didn't ask you that you would love would the, that you would have loved for me to answer and then now you can answer and that <laughs> stumps the hell out of them they're like oh oh that's a good one. And that allows that gets them that engaged immediately, right? Yeah. <laughs> because taking them out of that comfort zone of, oh, I know about L&D or I know about this, and then going, well, you can talk about anything. And you're like, oh, yeah, that throws them. So that's maybe that's my kind of one uh, interesting question. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost with everything that to be, uh, if I'm presenting and be like, hey, what haven't, haven't I presented today that, you know, you, you wanted to see, right? It's, mm. it's a lot over that. So, yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely, yeah. Perfect. And uh, so let's talk a little bit more, Toby, about, uh, you know, your current organization and the responsibilities that you have there. Uh, so if you could elaborate a little bit on, you know, how you're continuing to build the learning culture as an L&D lead at uh, here technology, that would be nice to hear. Um, yeah. So, so just a, a word on that learning culture. A lot of people use learning culture. And, and like I said, like at the start about being uh, argumentative. And I, for me, I am... I don't believe it, that a company can set or an individual can set a learning culture or a culture within a company. 
for me, and people disagree with this, but for me, a learning culture is where individuals set up a certain mindset and, and live by a certain ethos or strive to a certain cause. And if then enough people do that and then they held each other accountable to that mindset or to that cause, then that is that creates a culture. So it's for me, it's it's a it's a bottom up rather than a, like a you know like a, a CEO coming in saying, I want to create this culture. So like, well, no, what you're saying is you want to create some rules and guidelines that you'll stick to that you want your managers to stick to. But outside of that, you have no influence, really. I mean, they have you know, set rules and that kind of thing. But it's up to the individuals to agree with that uh, ethos. I mean, I loved watch uh, Simon Sinek and I'm reading his book, mm-hmm. The Infinite uh, Mindset. Uh, he talks about you know just cause and that a just cause is something that a leader follows, but only individuals can choose to follow that just cause and then they'll stick with you. Um, you can't force that just cause on other on others. So so that's kind of yeah for me an interesting bit about uh, a learning culture. But so for me, when I look at my company, is that is we're trying to develop a learning mindset, which is going out to the individuals, to the teams, to the divisions, and explain to them the benefits of having individuals follow a learning mindset, how that breaks down and what aspects and what skills go into that. And then hopefully giving the managers and each of the individuals the skills to hold each other accountable to that level. So then that starts to build a learning culture uh, over time. All right. We, we at our organization call it the growth mindset. I think that will be an... Yeah. So that's an interesting one as well, because for me, a growth mindset, and well, not just for me, this is kind of what I've studied in. I say studied, it sounds like I'm a, I'm a professor, but from what I've researched <laughs> is a growth mindset is an insular mindset. So it's all about my positivity, my self-development, uh, my uh, self-awareness, whereas a learning mindset takes that into the 3D. So it takes a growth mindset and then adds sharing onto it. And then sharing is then where you start to push that growth mindset and, and help the community uh, outwards. Got it. Makes sense. It, it also has to do with how innately curious someone is, right? So building that curiosity, curiosity is a getting- key part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, a growth mindset is how you are curious as an individual, whereas a learning mindset is how do I support my peers and then we can all become curious together? To, to give you an example, um, a growth mindset is saying I'm curious and I will go off and, and figure something out. Within a learning mindset, psychological safety means that your manager won't push you down when you say, oh, that's curious. Can I have a look at this, this, and this? Your manager won't go, no, you can't have a look at that. You need to stick to these objectives. You need to do this. And he'll go, that's great. Go have a look. Come back and, and let me know what you find. Tell, ask, you know, tell the rest of the team what you're looking at and encourage that curiosity. So to me, there's that kind of slight difference between them. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Um, that, that's actually a good perspective. Um, and, you know, as an LNB expert, uh, Toby, with close to about two decades of experience, 
Uh, what's your opinion on, you know, the learning while doing methodologies, right? And what role do you think curiosity plays, as we said, in staying ahead of the curve? The learning while doing. So, first of all, you know, like we said before, you know, that never-ending learning, um, that's uh, the lifelong learning, we're always um, learning. And I think, I suppose that, I mean, I call it kind of learning in the flow of work. So, just to kind of set the bar where I mean by that, a lot of people talk about just-in-time training or just-in-time learning. And to me, just-in-time learning means that I am doing something, for example, in Excel. I then have to stop doing what I'm doing, go off, go find how to do it, and then come back and start work. That's just-in-time training. The old traditional way is I'll book up to do a course in six months' time of how to do the job I'm doing right now. That's kind of old, old school. So just in time is that. Just in the flow of work is to me where you start incorporate technology into your individual learning habits. So whether it be a learning experience platform or even things like chatbots or all those kind of things. And to, you know, to use that example of Microsoft, they start having that built in so that when you are starting to work in, uh, you know, whether it be Microsoft 365 or whatever, you can directly go to the work, you know, the, the help uh, section and find exactly what you need there and then. Um, and I know there are certain platforms that have started to add widgets, so like Chrome extensions and all those kind of things, so that whatever software or the platform you're on, the software is automatically looking at your platform and going, oh, you're in this part and so you might want to look at these uh, topics to help you out as well. Um, so for me, that learning in the flow of work is not is more than a mindset. Is and again going back to that conscious effort to do it, but it's also the in the the blend of technology with your mindset. Got it. Um, that's correct. And think also because when you're doing a transaction. You don't want to lose context, right? You don't want to wait for a few hours or so before you get the help you need. So it, it's just like you said, right? While you're doing it in the flow of work. And that's, that's a pretty, uh, you know, a popular topic these days, learning in the flow of work. You have your Deloitte and Gartner, you know, writing topics on it. Um, the question on that front as well is, you know, at, uh, you know, we, we Microsoft, we've said now Dynamics, but they started this entire concept uh, long back with Clippy. If you remember, there was a little Clippy yeah, animation yeah. on the I left. love Clippy, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that was really the concept, right? And now you have a lot of, you know, like you said, uh, those uh, applications with widgets and digital adoption platforms yeah. that get to that Chat point. bots and that kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. So, Toby, it, it seems so obvious, right? When you look at it, it seems so obvious. This, this is there to help. But there's also a lot of reluctance from many, you know, organizations and, and learning teams have seen, right? What do you think that is when it comes to this concept of learning and flow work? I don't think, well, I suppose it is a, a level of reluctance, but I, I personally put it down to, to two things, um, cost and um, privacy. So, so, for example, chatbots aren't cheap. Um, I mean, they, they can be cheap, but it takes a lot. If you, if you, you know, for the companies that I know, um, you can take relatively cheap options but it means that you basically have to do all the, the work yourself. You have to build it. You have to, in a sense, program it yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and that takes time and patience because then you've got to train yourself on a new skill. Um, so 
either it's expensive in terms of the physical product to buy in or it's expensive in terms of time and upskill to, to get you to that to that level. Um, and privacy. I mean, I used the example before of those you know, widgets when you talked about the, uh, um, uh, the, the Microsoft one. I can't remember, what, what was it called? The, the Clippy, that was the one. Clippy, yeah. yeah. Um, those kind of things. It, in reality, what they're doing is they're tracking your activity. And in the past... We didn't give a, a, a hoots about that. We we're like kind of, yeah, 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 fine, track it. I don't care. But now, you know, with uh, you know face recognition and GDPR and all this kind of stuff, and you know, hacking and all this kind of stuff, and you know, Facebook and uh, was it um, Cambridge and Analytica and all that kind of stuff, people are a lot more aware and a lot more cautious about what information they give up. Um, but in order for these kind of technologies to work properly, you kind of need to give up a level of, not level of privacy, but you need to give up a level of visualization to help you. Um, so I think it is going to be a bit of a roadblock because I don't see that, I don't see that question going away anytime soon. Um, and yeah, it needs to be addressed. Um, but I don't see a solution if I'm being honest. It's one of those things that technology will improve, privacy will improve, uh, and normalization will improve. Um, but as that goes on, there'll be more adoption. Uh, but yeah, it needs to be those two things, the cost. And because not many people are taking it up, then the, the cost goes up because, yeah, not many people are taking it up. So uh, I think those two bits are the biggest areas. Yeah, I, I, there should be a stage of utopia, though, at one point where the costs are not that high up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the, the concern is, is that uh, some people's utopia is, you know, we're all living in, like, the Matrix, but, like, the nice version of the Matrix, yeah. not the, uh, the robots, <laughs> but, like, the lovely one where everybody's getting on and there's no war and there's no all that kind of stuff. But then you've got 1984. Yeah, um, um, uh, is it Oswell? Uh, I can't remember the author, but uh, the 1984 book where Big Brother looks after absolutely everything. And yeah. and that's the risk, is that if you open up everything now, you know, the, you know to like, you can say Facebook, uh, Amazon, Google, they're trustworthy because they're organizations and all that stuff. All it takes is, you know, kind of one bad apple to go, no, we're taking that. You know, I'm not going to say Cuba is a bad apple, but, you know, it wasn't really data, but Castro came in and nationalized everything. I mean, I, I was actually reading and listening to a podcast on um, how Bacardi evolved, uh, because, uh, yeah, random stuff that I listened to. Um, and one of, part of the story was Castro coming along and taking everything from them, their IP, everything. Mm -hmm. um, so data can be the same. Data is housed somewhere. And all it takes is somebody with the wrong intentions to come along and go, right, I'll have that piece of information and I'll use it for my own nefarious good uh, deeds and off you go. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is that issue as well. But I think it comes, uh, you know, the learning in the flow model comes with, you know, with good intentions, I think goes with, uh, there's this quote by Benjamin Franklin, which we all use, right? Uh, Tell me and I'll forget, teach me and I remember. But it involves me and I learn, right? So it's that involvement part, right? While I'm yeah. performing an, an interaction. So I think it's, it's more to that. But yeah, good point. Uh, uh, to be over the years, right? E-learning has evolved dramatically. The last five to 10 years at least, right? And putting a lot more control in the hands of users. 
So what do you think some of the issues are, uh, you know, when you believe uh, if e-learning has brought about because of this? Um, I wouldn't say it's issues. I think it's a great thing. Um, I am a big believer of self-developed and self-curated uh, and created learning. Uh, I think there is enough information and enough knowledge out there uh, for people to start making, you know, to make their own tracks and their own development paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a level of trust, especially within an organization. So uh, we've brought in a company called K-Point, a fantastic uh, video knowledge sharing platform. And the great thing about it is that anybody in the company can create a piece of content and share it with anybody and everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they've found a shortcut or they've found something interesting, they can create a video and boom, it's up there and uh, available for everybody. That's a level of trust if I'm, unfortunately, not every company is at um, because they feel that they need to control knowledge. Um, I always kind of hark back to school. You know, it was the teacher telling you, learn this, you learn that, you learn that. But, you know, now with Google, a student can learn kind of anything they want. Um, so, and e-learning for me is part of that control. Is that, you know, for example, if somebody came to me and said, um, we've got this um, challenge and we want to create uh, a, 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 an e-learning out of it. Traditionally, L&D would have gone, yeah, fine, no problem. You know, what do you want? How long it do you be? What information? And we'll go away and create it. And six months later, you've got something. Now, what I say to those people is, um, well, I'll help you create it then. What, what's, um, have you, you know, do you have a script? If not, I can help you build a script. Do you have any kind of visuals or anything like that? Is it a screen recording you need to show somebody? Great. Record it. And, and I'll, I, I'll edit it for you. I'll put all the things together or maybe put some music over the top of it or make it flow. Um, but you're going to do, you know, Mr. Customer, you're going to do the work. Sounds weird and horrible, but if people then realize, or the, my customers that I talk to realize, like, oh, I have control now. I can say, not say what I want, but I can say in a way that means something to me. People listening to it then think, ah, oh, he's the expert. It's not some random um, voiceover actor that's saying it. I recognize that person. That's my co- that's my colleague that's saying it. Um, and then it becomes more sticky uh, for people to listen to it. So yeah, that's for me. E learning is on the way out. It's a, it's an old uh, an old hat uh, technology. Yeah, it's, it's I think to be you hit the nail on the head. It's more about context, relevance, and also you know which part of the brain, the midbrain, right, that you go to when you want to learn and absorb. Right, if it no, you, you, it's an unknown. It's, uh, you know, you have your guards up. It's the reptilian brain, part of the brain that you go to. But I think uh, what you said is right. It's, it's crowdsourcing internally within an organization you're learning. But what level of curation or, you know, control do you, you not think there should be some level of control at that point? Or? Um, I suppose the, the honest answer is no, no control, but guidance, consulting. So that's why I class myself as an in house consultant not a trainer. I hate the word training. Um, I don't consider my trainer a trainer in any way, shape, or span. I am uh, and maybe an educator. I'm a, a learning specialist, um, but I'm a consultant. So I will help people make the best story 
and uh, I will help them to think about all the different things that go into that story, uh, but I won't control it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, with changes and challenges in the digital learning space uh, over the last few years now, uh, what are your thoughts on the blended learning approach? One of the things that I'm trying to do and, and encouraging you know, both inside our company and outside is almost irrespective of the topic, there needs to be a blend. And there are two types of blends that you can think of. There is the blend of styles. So is there a video? Is there a podcast? Is there an article? Is there a you know, kinesthetic, something physical? Um, you've got that side of the blend. But I'm not really focused on that side of the blend because I feel then that is person. And a lot of people have said this has been dis, um, uh, disputed, that there is no such thing as learning styles. It's just what you're used to. And, and then you just carry on doing it. And that's where good algorithms come in. So they'll, if you're starting to watch loads of videos, the algorithm will go, ah, this person likes to watch a video. So I'll send them more videos and less articles, for example. Right. But the other style of blending is between face-to-face, online, and social learning. And, uh, and then you've got created and curated. So created is something I make. Curated is a TED Talk. Right. And I, for me, I'm a strong believer of no matter what the topic is, there can be a blend. So let's just say, for argument's sake, you talk about machine learning within your company. Now, there are going to be very certain specific things that your company does within machine learning, within algorithms that only your company does. So you need to train, you need to create curated material on that. But there is a, also an area where you can say why machine learning is important as in general and where machine learning is going in the future. That is curated. You can bring Harvest Business Review in, maybe some interesting TED Talks uh, about all that kind of stuff. And that can be maybe your nice-to-know stuff. So you've got your internal need-to-know, you've got your curated nice-to-know. Then you need your social learning platform or your social learning elements, so sharing, liking, commenting, all those kind of things need to thread through the whole thing so that people can then get... They're not excluded. So if they miss a webinar, if they miss a training, or they don't quite understand something, or they just want to share something within that area, then they can. And then you're you're then combining um, created stuff with curated stuff, uh, with Q and A's, with and it just yeah, I get very excited with the when when it get when it gets right, and you can get this real great blend of all these different things going off at the same time. Yeah, I think you hit on two two aspects of blend. One is the the medium, and one is the method, right? So that's interesting, uh, actually, the way you put it. Um, and um, to be according to a study, uh, you know, there was uh, it, it mentioned about ninety percent of companies with very strong learning cultures, like you just described, have senior executives actively engage in L and D initiatives, right? Do you think that's accurate, and do you think there should be more of it? And if there isn't, why not? So the, the leaders are engaging in the learning initiatives. Yeah. Um, and not just looking at it as, here's L&D, there you go, but actually being actively involved because they know it's, it's like we discussed, right? Part of the learning mindset or the culture that you want to see. I must admit, I don't know. Obviously, I can't speak for every company and I don't know 
you know, every manager in the company I work for. Uh, but my overwhelming feeling is managers aren't involved as much as they probably should do. I think the, right. the, the managers that are clued on, the managers that understand how to really develop a team and how to get the most out of a team are engaged in learning because they realize that if I can develop my team and, and not just get my team developed, but develop with them, then achieving targets, achieving KPIs comes automatically. Like, so if we're creating a, a great psychologically safe environment, then everything is positive. There are no negatives in that. Uh, unfortunately, not every manager either has the time or the inclination to do that um, because they're so focused on their targets that, uh, that that's, you know, that's all they care about. Now, a lot of the time, like you talk about this kind of you know, the uh, learning culture, a lot of it comes from their managers and, you know, the, the above. Um, I know that in, within our company, there is a big um, push from our senior leadership on the importance of um, improving and self-development and, 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 and I'll get my words out, and uh, developing and investing in technology to help people develop. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe sometimes the message gets lost, especially in that middle management, uh, about you know, self-development and then, oh, no, you've got to hit your targets. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's mixed. I think those who really appreciate knowledge, um, and how to really get the most out of people. And I don't mean the stick in terms of come on people, let's, let's hit these targets and you can do better, but to focus on the well-being and the, the mental health and the psychological safety elements of their team. Those are the ones that truly get the benefits because I think those teams will work harder, they'll work longer, they'll be with the company longer, uh, and I think the, the benefits are uh, exponential. Yeah, I, I actually noticed you mentioning psychological safety a few times, something that I personally you know, also believe in a lot, right? And a lot of organizations get that wrong. So to be, why do you think that is? It's not the intentional, but how do you think we can have more organizations think about mm. that a little bit more? On you know, I think psychological safety is. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic because it's not a traditional skill. It is not something to say. Um, I don't know. Let's say take. Let's say wouldn't say traditional, but let's say presentation skills. Like if I'm talking about people skills, it's a relatively easy one because there are certain skills and certain things and certain do's and don'ts. You know how to do your body language, how to use your tone, what to put in your story. With psychological safety, you can talk about the why it's important. You can talk about all the tips and things and how to think about it. But as we all know, we're all individuals anyway. So that's already hard. But then put us all together and every single team is different. You take out one person out of any team and the whole ethos changes. I'm sure yeah. you've noticed this. I'm sure our listeners have, have noticed this. That yeah, you have you're having a great team. One person leaves, and then all of a sudden, six people have left. Or you're having a, a bad team. One person leaves, and then all of a sudden, everybody gets on really great. Um, so I think one of the the trouble, the challenges with psychological safety, 
is you've got to give it time. You've got to, like I said right at the start, about holding each other accountable. That's so critical. You need to empower not just the manager to work out how they think it's right to be a psychological safe environment. But I think the hardest thing is the employees or the individual contributors of that team need to feel and need to have the, the, in a sense, you know, to think of a better phrase, the cojones to go, no manager, that is wrong. Um, You are not setting the right tone. I feel not necessarily bullied, but I feel that you're not giving me space or I don't feel that I can bring my true self to this, to this conversation or to this team. And then the manager's got to go, I'm sorry, you're right. I need to develop, not, well, I don't know, I think you're the problem here, which is usually, unfortunately, what the manager thinks, <laughs> that ego kicks in. It's like, no, 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 I'm right. But no, I mean, servant leadership shows that you get out of the way of your team. Um, you know, to, in a sense, the old way of thinking about it was manager you know, says and you do, end of story. Then it was uh, the leader's uh, go at the front and they, they do it and then you follow. Servant leadership is that the leader is standing by the side and giving the, almost like a coach, is giving the team the encouragement and the, the, the technology to, to get on and do their job, but it's getting completely out of their way and maybe getting rid of roadblocks or, or whatever, but it's nothing really to do with the team. That is a big psychological shift for any company, let alone any manager that's brought up in this traditional world. So I think one of the reasons why companies don't really, again, individuals, you'll get some great teams working really well in psychological safety. But I think the reason it's not corporate-wide is because there are so many managers sit in that traditional mindset still thinking, I need I need to control what I'm doing, or I've got targets. And I, if, if my targets are depending on your job, I need to control you. I, but allowing you to do whatever you want to do, not whatever you want to do, but allowing you to find your own way, like we're going back to our kids, allowing them to find their own journey, their own discovery and not getting involved going, oh, no, try it like this, try it like that. That is really hard from a human level perspective, let alone a team. Because then as a manager, you may get it sorted with one person, but the way you've approached it with one person has to be completely different to another person. And again, completely different from a third person. And then you've got the team together. It's, it's a minefield. So, yeah, yeah it's not easy. I, I get it to be totally correct, right? So, and if you just think about it, uh, taking the law of percentages, right? When you're a manager, you were doing pretty well yourself as an individual contributor, and now you've been promoted to a manager. So you had a certain way or a certain style of working that got you to that yeah. point. Now you expect others to do the same, which is not correct because, you know, everyone has their own style. And just being on the side, like I said, being a coach, being your support staff primarily and just enabling them or empowering them to be the best of the self. I think that's what you got on. So that, that's pretty cool. I think that it's a, it's a topic, psychological safety, Toby, that we can go on for hours and hours. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm not an expert <laughs> in any way, shape or form. I, I have obviously my own opinions and, and I've trained it out in different ways. But um, I think it's Amy. If you Google Amy and psychological uh-huh. safety, you'll find out who it is. But she does. She, she's done a TED Talk. She's done a whole course on LinkedIn Learning. She's done a white paper. Um, check that out. 
uh, and, and and kind of see the details. Yeah, Amy Edmonton, I believe, right? Edmonton. Uh, just, there you go. Yeah. Thank you very much. And again, my name recognition is is terrible. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, so one last question, Toby. Um, and this is something I ask everyone. Uh, you know, I talk to in the L&D space, right? All L&D leaders, managers, whoever I talk to, this question is something I do ask, which is now with, you know, uh, the learning and dynamic, uh, learning training dynamic changing, right? And now uh, we're integrating, reintegrating back into our workspace. How do you think this is going to impact, uh, you know, the, the learning culture now? Will it be like you're uh, returning back to your pre-COVID era, pre-COVID days, or should we expect something new? Oh, that's 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 the million dollar question. So, and everybody's going to have a different different opinion. This, my personal opinion is that I want to continue and even um, expand on where we're going, irrespective of the, how the pandemic turns out. Is that I want this ethos of trusting our employees to work wherever they want to work to get and allowing them to make up their own decisions to, and the, as long as they get the work done, I don't care where you are. You can work at the top of Timbuktu. As long as you're, you're contributing to the team and you're, you're achieving what we need you to achieve, then it doesn't matter. Um, but that's a politics thing. And yeah, every company has a different way of approaching it. In terms of learning in that environment, now, obviously we've seen a massive increase in um, expenditure in uh, e-learning. Um, and when I talk about e-learning, I talk about any online learning, not the actual yeah. uh, course itself. Um, my hope is that, again, just like that kind of mindset of flexible working, is that companies do not go back to, right, we're all going back to the office, so we'll stick to um, to go back to face-to-face training. Now, obviously, if you're all in the office together, then, yeah, makes sense to go back to face-to-face training because, yeah, it's, it, you're all in the office. You, you're all there. You can all quickly go into a meeting um, or you get some training done and, and be done with it. But even if you're all in the office, and especially when people aren't going to be in the office because they'll be flexible, is that you have the flexibility and the trust to say to employees, um, we want you to develop um, in your own uh, time and we want you to take control of your own learning journey and we will provide, uh, there will be face-to-face workshops or there'll be virtual webinars, there'll be e-learning, there'll be social learning um, and that we'll have all those available and then you're free to choose what you want. Like we're talking about the um, learning methods. If you are, if you prefer watching videos to, in learning, great, continue. If you prefer being in a workshop, and I must admit, I don't like training in a workshop in a physically because I, I like the actual time when I'm there, but I, I will kind of ask anybody that comes out of a training, how much do they remember after three hours of that training? How can they go back and find out what they just learned? You can't because you're flipping through sheets and handouts and all that kind of stuff. That's where you need the blend. So you need the learning teams to go, right, fine, we'll still provide a face-to-face training, but we'll provide the video to go with it. We'll provide the takeaway notes to go with it. We'll provide a social learning platform to go with it so that you can 
comment and you can add discussions and ask questions anytime you want. And the questions and answers will always be there. So you don't get those personal back and forths. Um, there'll be exercises embedded in the online platform that you can do face-to-face or you can do online either way. I mean, like Miro is a, a great example of that virtual whiteboards experience, both in, uh, in physical and in remote. So for me, um, I think the learning space is really exciting. I'm really looking forward to what they can do in the VR, uh, so virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality, mm-hmm. because then you can start to really blend, like properly blend face-to-face with virtual. So you can physically be there, everybody with helmets on, and physically be there, but also be in a worldwide web and have thousands of people next to you. And yeah, the possibilities are endless. That's the bit I'm really excited about. And I hope that companies continue to invest um, in those areas um, and not just think, oh, you know, we're face-to-face now. We don't need a social platform. You do, even more than now than ever. Yeah, on a lighter note, Toby, it's almost like you're talking about the movie Wally. Have you seen that animated movie oh, yeah. Pixar? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dangerous situation. We're all there and no one's talking to each other and they have their headsets on. But yeah, but yeah, I totally get it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, the forgetting curve, right? You, you forget about 85, 90% of your learning yeah. or training in the first few hours or days, right? So well, bear in mind with doing Wally, I mean, using that example, that they're, that they've got their, their helmets on, they've got their glasses on but they're yeah. not communicating with each other. They're all exactly. in silos and they're all going about doing their own business. And as soon as Wally comes along at the end and knocks them yeah. and goes, ah, I didn't realize this is person next to me. <laughs> but they could have done that inside the, the, the technology. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> silly example. Yeah. yeah. Sure, but but going to, to what you always talk about, Toby, we can, but should we? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, we can go down that route. And everybody has their own personal, I mean, we've got it with our phones. I mean, yeah. we're all in our own worlds with our little phones. Um, and yes, you can, you can put all the learning on your phone and, and be done with it. Is that good? Eh, probably not. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's great. Uh, so we just have some uh, rapid fire questions to be to go. So one word answers, if you can, we'll make it okay. quick. Right, so the first one is, when you think about AI being integrated into learning systems, what is the first word that comes to your mind? Chatbots. Interesting. What word comes to your mind when you think of micro-learning? Video. All right. And which is more important to you? Social learning, classroom learning, or hybrid learning? And you can choose only one. Hybrid. But what I feel, what I believe is hybrid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right and this is something we ask all guests on the podcast what is uh, that one word or phrase that comes to your mind when you think of digital transformation and adoption know your why know your why yeah why are you uh, so if you're like for example in, in my company we're moving away from an LMS and into an LXP you need to explain to people why we are moving. What is the power of an LXP? Not just, hey, everybody, here's a new platform. Congratulations. Do this, do that, do that. It's uh, why are we doing this? You know, building in that mindset of why you know, learning is getting faster and where you need the LXP to do whatever, whatever the answer is. 
but you need to start with why. Yeah, I love that. And I'll borrow that from you, Toby. Know your why. That's great. <laughs> All right. That, and that also goes perfect. for an individual. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. So we've come to the end of uh, yet another session, uh, another episode of the Digital Adoption Show. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Toby, appreciate you being here. It was an amazing conversation. We could have gone on for hours, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but something that I'll remember for a while. This chat was very, very interesting. Before we I'm close, Toby. Thanks a lot. And uh, before we close, uh, it'd be great to, if you could share how people listening to this podcast can reach out to you for more questions to that. Uh, LinkedIn is the, the probably the main place. Um, if you search for the never-ending learner, I think I'm still as Toby Newman, but the never-ending learner is on LinkedIn. There's a neverendinglearner.com. You can see some of the stuff that I'm doing, but I'd love people to reach out, connect, start conversations, disagree with me, and and kind of and we can start a conversation on why. That's perfect. And of course, if there are any interesting movies you want to talk about, Toby's your man. You, yeah, totally. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, I can I can go on for hours on that. All right, perfect. Fantastic, Toby. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thanks so much. And thanks for everybody for listening to this podcast. Uh, stay tuned to the Digital Adoption Show and for more great content and some really incredible speakers coming along. Have a great one, everybody, and we'll call the show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Uh-huh.